I pray that you bless the tithes and offerings that come in. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week, if you weren't here, we started a just a two-week series. And it's about reading your Bible. So if you if you would normally come to church and, and we would we would open up our we would open up the Bible to a specific scripture and we'd spend time on that scripture. That's not what we're gonna do today. We're going to we're going to jump around a little bit in the Bible. Uh, I will have most of the verses behind me. We are going to end in Luke chapter 24, so that's where we're going to spend a portion of the time reading. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up. And I also ask you if you would, would provide um, liberty and freedom for me in two ways. Uh, one, I am not going to come uh, and present to you like this is, but rather would we consider as we, as we read the Bible. And then secondly, um, normally I try to, uh, try to condense things as much as I can to get through, knowing that next week if I have to roll over, I can. But next week we're going to start uh, something completely different. So if it takes me a few minutes extra uh, this week, would that be okay? Because Well, the, the Redskins aren't playing anyways. Uh, and the Cowboys, they're not worth watching. So we're good to go, right? Uh, sheesh, that was terrible last week, but... Thank you for not rubbing it in. I appreciate that. Yeah. So we're talking about the scriptures uh, this week. And did you know that in the state of Kentucky, it is against the law to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket? Right. Now, when you hear that, you probably think the same thing I do, how absolutely ridiculous. Couldn't the lawmakers of a state spend their time creating laws that actually matter? Well, why put your attention on something like that when there's so many other things that where they can make a difference? You know, that is exactly what some people think when they read the Bible. With all that's wrong in the world, why, in the, why, why would God choose to focus his attention on telling his people they can't eat pork or shrimp? Or that they can't use two types of materials in the same clothing? And see, in that type of thinking, it leads some people who read the Bible to then ridicule the Bible because the instructions of God are similar to our reaction of you can't carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket. Ridiculous. But here's something very important to understand. I'm going to give you a few thoughts from, from this book, and I, I wanted to just kind of make sure that you understand what coming from, and I would encourage you, um, this book, How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball, was very, very helpful. But, but what's, what's important for us to understand as we approach the scriptures is this. What makes no sense, much, sorry, what makes, no, what, what makes very little sense to us is because we often approach the Bible from a 21st century viewpoint and understanding. And so as, as we read what the Bible says and we look at it and we say, well, I know this is God's word. And so here's what God's word says. And then we look at it and like, why in the world would God say, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk? And then, then we have one of three reactions, all right? We either just go along with it and we do it because, well, the Bible says it, so it must be right. Or we dismiss it and say, like, well, that doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. We don't really know why it doesn't matter, but we just say it doesn't matter anymore. 
Or we ignore it, and then we're kind of stuck saying, well, how come you do obey some of these rules, but you don't obey these other rules? And the problem with that type of thinking is the critics of Christianity and the critics of the Bible, they don't ignore and dismiss the things we do. They bring them to light and they try to tell our children, your Bible makes no sense whatsoever. Look at what it says. And oftentimes they're showing things to our children and our grandchildren Things that we've never talked to them about, never discussed with them, and it leaves them going, oh, yeah, you're right. I've never heard that. Oh, that, that seems so strange. Why would we never talk about that in the Bible? They must be wanting to hide that from us. And all of a sudden, it leaves our children saying, this Bible is not relevant to my life because it says don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. But what we have to do is as we read our Bibles, and this is important because at the beginning of the year, we all are kind of like refocusing our thoughts on like, hey, I need to spend more time in God's word. We do need to spend more time in God's word, but we also need to understand what we're reading in God's word. And as we study it more and understand it more, here's what we're going to get as what we struggle to understand today was likely very clear to those who originally received the instructions. You take some crazy verses in the Bible and you read it, and, and to us, it's like, ha, 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 huh? But to the people who originally heard it, it made complete sense. For example, you know that law about not carrying an ice cream cone in your back pocket? It was to prevent horse theft. Because what thieves found is by putting an ice cream cone in their back pocket, they could walk up to a horse, unhitch it, and that horse would start licking that ice cream cone, and they could walk away from the owner while that horse followed them very quietly and without a struggle. Huh. Well, that makes sense now, doesn't it? But see, we don't ride horses anymore, so we laugh at a law like that. We still like ice cream. A lot. Uh, I just would never carry ice cream in my back pocket. The principle applies. Because the principle is about protecting someone's property. And we have all kinds of laws today that protect our, our personal property and, and our home, right? And so the, the principles are, are very, very important for us to understand. So, so ultimately, as, as we go into the Bible, what we want to do is do more than just increase our time in the Word. We also want to increase our understanding of the Word. And so last week, we went through three points, and I have one more to go, but I'm going to review them with you briefly. Number one, we said last week, the Bible is a library, not a book. You walk into a library, and it's got fiction, nonfiction, poetry, history, biography. It's got all these sections. And as you open your Bible, you're going to find out your Bible was written, some of its history, some of its genealogy, some of its poetry, some of its prophecy, some of its correspondence. They're just letters. And if we don't know what we're reading, it's going to be very easy to misunderstand and then misapply what we're reading. But for example, I used to like to read, years ago, Tom Clancy novels. If you've ever read a Tom Clancy novel, he, he kind of writes fictional history, a lot of war game type stuff. But one thing Tom Clancy does, it gets better. 
One, one thing Tom Clancy does in his books is he often uses the names of real-world leaders. So you're reading about the real presidents of, of, of the United States and real-world leaders. And so, like, if someone picked up a book that was written by Tom Clancy and did not know you are reading fiction, they might think they're reading history. And then they get it wrong. Sometimes when we approach the scriptures and we don't understand what we're reading, we can get it wrong. I showed you this verse last week, and I'm not going to go back and talk about it again, but Psalm 137, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. We have to understand what we're reading here because this is the same word blessed that we see when Jesus stands and gives the Beatitudes in the New Testament. But these aren't parallel passages like blessed are the peacemakers in the same way of blessed if you go smash a baby's head against a rock. We went through this last week to explain it, but this is poetic language of a man crying out for justice who saw his children and children he loved being treated like this by an invading army. And he's saying, God, I'm crying out for justice. This is what my heart wants. But I know you're a God who said vengeance is mine and I trust you. This is not an instruction to do something to be blessed. And we have to understand that as we read. And one of the most debated books in the Bible is Revelation. Boy, you could read 10 different theologians and get 10 completely different understandings of Revelation. Some will claim that Revelation has to be understood literally. And you'll get books like Left Behind, where they try to use everything written in, the, in, the, in Revelation as literally taking place. Other theologians will say, no, that's not, it's not literal. It, it, we have to understand that John was having a dream, and dreams are full of imagery and visions. And I'm not trying to tell you this is right, this is wrong. I'm trying to tell you, you have to understand that as we approach Revelation. I want to show you what I mean, because if we take everything literally, here's what we have to deal with. In Revelation chapter 5, John writes this, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders... I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So did John literally see a lamb standing on its two hooves that had died? It says a verse later, went and took the scroll. So I'm, I'm picturing, does a lamb with its hoof take a scroll? Or is John presenting imagery about Jesus who is the lamb of God that has been slain. We come across Revelation chapter 7. John writes, After I saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Well, wait a second. If our earth is a globe, how are there corners? But what we have to approach and understand is John is not writing science. He's writing a vision, and he's showing four angels holding back the winds against the whole earth. But there are people who will hold to a flat earth view because the Bible says there's four corners. Literal. Or Revelation 12.1, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. I'm sorry, but we can't get close enough to the sun to be clothed with it. We're going to burn up and die. It's, it has to be imagery. Representing real things, it doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it's not important, but we have to understand the difference between what we're reading. And, and take this one, Revelation chapter 20. Four words here are going to describe one. 
and he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. So which did he seize, the dragon? Or, or did he seize the serpent? Or did he seize the devil or did he seize Satan? Yes. I mean, these are four words describing one, but John is presenting imagery and even these words a thousand years. You know, there are some who say, well, this is, this is a literal 1,000 years. And then there's others who say, well, these 1,000 years, we have to understand how the word 1,000 is used in the Bible. We sometimes read that a day with the Lord is as a 1,000 years. Does that mean after a 1,000 years the day ends? Or does that mean a day with the Lord is a really long time? We have to understand that it, the Psalm 50 says God owns the cattle on a 1,000 hills. Does, does that mean God doesn't own the cattle on a thousand and one hills, just a thousand? Or, or, or something really interesting, three times in the Bible, it says that God keeps his covenant for a thousand generations. A thousand generations would mean that this earth has to exist for 30,000 to 40,000 years. So if we're looking for the return of Jesus anytime soon, and we only existed for maybe 10,000 years based on how, how you understand genealogy in the scripture, what we're saying is you don't need to be looking for Jesus anytime soon because this earth has to exist another 20 to 30,000 years because if he's going to keep his covenant for a thousand generations, we got a long time to go. Or we could say he's going to keep his covenant forever. So this is where we have to understand. We have to know what we're reading in the Bible. Is it poetry and imagery? Is it, is, it a, is it a letter? Is it correspondence? Is it history, genealogy? And so as we understand what we're reading, it will help us know, know more about how to apply this to our lives. So second, we said this last week as well, the Bible was written for us, but the Bible was not written to us. So there's 21 letters in the New Testament. Every one of those 21 letters was written to real people who lived in the first century. None of those 21 letters were written to people who live in the 21st century. They apply to us because of the Holy Spirit who continues to live within us and who was the author of these words. But when we read the letters as if they're written to us, well, it can get really, really confusing. We have to understand that there's a, an original author, an original audience, and an original purpose. God's trying to accomplish something through the author. For example, if you were to take the first five books of the Bible, and I want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think, do you know who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Well, we would say that Moses wrote most of the first five books of the Bible, but Moses did not write all of the first five books of the Bible. You say, ah, how do you know that? Well, because the very last chapter of Deuteronomy, it tells us about Moses' death, about where Moses was buried, and the 30 days of mourning after Moses died. So Moses could not have written about that. He was dead. But why did Moses write those first five books? Well, who was it written to? Well, it was written to Israel. But think of who Israel was when Moses wrote this. 
Israel was a nation that God came to a man named Abraham and said, you're going to be mine, and yet I'm not ready to give you this land. I'm going to move your people 400 years. I'm going to 400 years. I'm going to move them to live in oppression until the time of iniquity is full, and I can bring them back and give them this promised land. So the people who were reading Moses' writings were not the people in Egypt. They didn't have the fact that God created the world while they were living in Egypt. All they had in Egypt was the fact that their father or grandfather sat them down and said, let me tell you a story that really happened. There's a man who's one of your ancestors, and his name was Abraham. And God came to him in a dream. And this is the dream. This is the vision that Abraham had. And, and God made a covenant with him. And God promised that we would one day inhabit a promised land. It's, it's a promise of God. That's all they had through their oral tradition. But now these people are being saved out of Egypt. They come across the Red Sea. And Moses begins to say, now, you've just come from a land filled with false gods and false worship and all kinds of idolatry. And you're going to a land that is filled with false gods and false worship and idolatry. So before you go into that land and with everything you've already seen, it's time for you to know who your God really is and who you are. And so what does Moses highlight? He highlights the one that created the world but man sinned but god promised the messiah but they still sinned so he see he sends a flood to wash the earth but he saves one because of the promise that he made he saves noah and he says be fruitful and multiply but they don't they rebel and, and at the tower of babel god once again sends them away and this is where he chooses abraham and he says i'm going to bring your people to the promise and he's telling Israel who their God is and he's telling Israel who you are you're one of these descendants of Abraham and how you got to Egypt was through a man named Joseph who God moved to, to Egypt for, for to save the world and then God came in his time and he showed how powerful he is through the 10 plagues of uh, that he sent to Egypt and on the last night of the Passover angel and how the blood was put on the doorsteps and how God delivered them and took them across the Red Sea then he fed them with manna and then he gave them 10 commandments and he said i want to dwell with you so here are the instructions for the tabernacle we have to understand that as we open up genesis and exodus more than teaching us science those though those books are teaching us god god's the creator of the world you are his creation See, God wanted his people, I'm sorry, God wanted his people to know he was the creator, they were his creation. He wanted them to know they were made in his image, and he is holy, so he wanted them to be holy. But he wanted them to know I'm merciful, because you're going to be a sinful, and so I'm going to tell you how I was merciful in Eden, and I didn't kill Adam and I, I gave them an opportunity, and I promised them a Messiah, but I'm sovereign and 
faithful and I'm powerful, but I love you and I'm going to protect you and care for you because you are my people and I will save you by my strong arm because you have a purpose and your purpose is to bless the entire world and you are servants not of a God. You are servants of the most high God. It's who you are and the most high God wants to be with you. Like This is what Moses is telling the children of Israel through these books that we read in the scriptures. And so when we come to a strange verse that makes no sense to us whatsoever, we have to realize God was teaching his people who he was and who they were in light of that. Because when we read this, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two different kinds of seed. And you shall not, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two different materials. What? Oh, but see, God was showing them. You and I, we're holy and set apart. We're different. Because you see, in ancient cultures, it was common for, for them to mix seeds in anticipation of a bountiful harvest. And God was saying, don't mix seeds at the harvest because it's not about how you plant a seed. It's about my blessings on you because I am the one who gives you everything that you have. So don't trust in the way you plant a seed. Trust in me. That's what God was teaching them. And that's relevant to our lives today. We can look at that and be like, well, we don't plant two types of seed. But listen, how many of us put two types of chemicals together, swallow it as a pill, and we trust the pill to help us more than the giver of life? Or this, two types of or this type of clothing made of two different types of materials. It's so strange. Why? But see, God was not saying it's immoral to wear clothes that have two types of materials. Here's what God was saying. There is one group of people. I want them to mix their materials when they make them. They are the priestly garments. The priestly garments were made of two types of material. So it's not immoral for to use two types of materials. What God was saying is my priests are holy and set apart even from you people. They're holy and set apart, which means you cannot wear clothes that pertain to the priests and act like you are one. Only the priests may wear priestly garments. Well, we can't dress up like police officers. It's against the law to impersonate a police officer, and that's just garments. See, we don't use clothes today to distinguish holy and unholy, but I'll tell you this, if we're doing, if we're doing it right in this church, we don't let anybody in that baptistry to get baptized who hasn't truly placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And Paul said, you have false teachers in the church teaching a false gospel. Get rid of them. There's still a difference between the holy and unholy. It's just not in our clothing anymore. Or one of the strangest laws you'll read, and I've mentioned it a few times. Shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Makes no sense to us. Unless we understand that there was a Canaanite ritual where they would boil a young goat, a baby goat, newborn goat, in its mother's milk to appease the gods for a fertile year for the livestock. This was offered to the gods, and God said, no, 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 don't do that. 
if you're going to have a good year, it's because I'll bless you. See, we don't understand it, but the people who would have heard this completely understood it because it was very relevant for them today. Now, we don't boil young goats hoping for a great year, but how many people go out and buy a lottery ticket because they don't have enough trust in God? See, there's relevance. This wasn't written to me, but it was sure written for me because we, as God's people, need to trust in God. Or, or we see, and I'm running out of time, but we see this, you know, don't, don't touch and don't, don't eat pigs. Could you imagine a life without bacon? <laughs> but what we may not know is that pigs were associated with pagan rituals and the underworld. Hell. Demon. You think when Jesus went to the man legion and was going to cast out his demons, where did they ask to go? Into the swine. Oh, the, the things that Israel was not supposed to associate with? Oh. Why can we eat pigs? Oh, because of Jesus. Jesus has given us authority over demons. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I don't have to run scared. I have been given authority. I'm a child of the king, right? I don't have to avoid pigs because they're associated with demonic activity. I, I am a child of the king because of who Jesus is. We don't have to run scared, but we do have to understand why it's written. Eating, shaving, cleaning, tattooing, sacrificing animals. Each of these commands has a purpose and a backstory that fits into God's greater storyline that we have to realize this was written for me. And it's good. I got to keep going. I'm sorry. Three, we said this last week, never read a Bible verse, which my children quoted to me when I went down this morning after reading that if you're bald, you're clean. Yeah, I read that up here. Go down there and my kids say, never read a Bible verse, Dad. What's the context? You know, I appreciate it. Glad you, glad you listened. Yeah, so... Let's, let's talk about something really strange that many Christians struggle with. Women should keep silent in the churches. Uh-huh. It's written in the Bible, right? Oof. All right. All right. Pastor, you're going to walk on eggshells on this one. Well, we have to understand what the Bible, well, we have to understand where, how a verse fits into a chapter. So let's talk about the chapter for a moment. 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about tongues. And Paul's purpose in writing 1 Corinthians 14 was about keeping order in the church. Because if you read verses 28 and verse 30, you will see Paul does more than just tell women to stay silent. In verse 28, he tells another group of people to stay silent. And in verse 30, he tells another pe group of people to stay silent. Within this chapter, what we're finding is that Paul's saying, we need order in the church. And sometimes it comes from some of you shutting your mouths. Okay? How does that fit into the book? Well... Does Paul expect women never to speak in church? That would be really strange because he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that a woman should not pray or prophesy without her head covered. Okay, well, how are they going to pray and prophesy if their head's covered if they can't speak? 
Now, being the head covering is a completely different issue there, but when he says it in 1 Corinthians 11, he's telling these women to pray and prophesy. So could he be saying, don't speak in church? And in 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul gives the gifts of the Spirit, he doesn't say, and these gifts are for men because you talk in the church, and these gifts are for women because you can't talk in the church. No, the gifts of the Spirit are for the body of Christ. And we step back even more and we say, well, what's the whole storyline of Scripture? Does God just expect men to always be in charge? And we go all the way back to the very beginning. And in Genesis 1, we see that God says to, not Adam, he says to Adam and Eve, he says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have, both of you, have dominion. Pre-fall. This is before the sin. What's the curse of sin? He looks right at Eve and he says, and he will rule over you. Oof. Oof. That just starts the power struggle that we have seen from the beginning of time and a power struggle that has been dominated by men because men are dominant. They're so much stronger. And it is easy to oppress a weaker vessel. But God does not put down women. All throughout the scriptures, we see Miriam and Deborah and Ruth and Esther. We see the woman in Proverbs 31. We see Joel come out and say, hey, in the last days, you know who's going to prophesy? Sons and daughters. We see Jesus flipping the script on women. He sits down with them. He talks theology to them. He says, sit at my feet where only men have been able to sit. He declares himself a Messiah, the Messiah of the world to a woman. He introduces himself after the resurrection first to the women. And when Paul starts writing about male and female, what he says in Galatians is in Christ Jesus, there is no male and female. We step back and look at the whole storyline of Scripture, and we have to see, you know, what God is not saying is it men here and women down here, and you keep silent, shut your mouth. What God is saying in 1 Corinthians 14 when it says women keep silent, Paul was addressing order in the church, and he was writing to a church in Corinth, but he was writing for the church at Mount Carmel. And you know what we need to take? It's important to have order in the church. doesn't mean you can't talk it means there needs to be order in this church and paul gives us an understanding of what god desires last and this is new but all the bible points to jesus my favorite chapters in all the scriptures luke 24 and that's where i asked you to turn earlier luke 24 happens after jesus is crucified and buried and he rises again on the third day and, and, and in verse 13 jesus catches up to two of his followers who were who were so sad and they were likely returning home after this tragic passover weekend when they thought oh the one who came to deliver us he's dead and jesus approaches them and he, he asks them, so, like, why are you guys so sad? I could tell something's wrong. And they said, are you kidding? Are you a stranger? Don't you know what's happening here? 
The one that we thought was the Messiah, he was handed over to our chief priests and they crucified him and then they buried him. And the women this morning, they came and told us that the tomb was empty and our other friends, they went and looked and sure enough, the tomb is empty. We don't know what's going on. And this is what Jesus says in verse 25. If you look at Luke 24, verse 25. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Time out. Have you read the Old Testament? Have you ever seen Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, they sure didn't. And so Jesus says, let me open up your understanding. And he goes on, and after he explains it to them, and, and, and if, I love how they said, man, did not our hearts burn within ourselves as he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus leaves them miraculously, and he appears in the room where his disciples are huddled in great fear because they don't know what's going on either. And Jesus appears to them, and he begins to prove, look, it's really me. Touch me. Hey, give me something to eat. And look at verse 42. Same chapter, Luke 24. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's like Jesus said, I was with you, and I told you these things, but if you were to keep reading, it says, Then opened he their understanding. Standing. And I really believe for much of the 40 days before Jesus went back to be on the throne, the 40 days he spent on the earth, I really believe Jesus went through the Old Testament with his followers to say, and this is about me, and, and, and this is about me, and, and this is about me. Because Peter, when he stands up for Pentecost, and Peter and John as they go, and Paul, after he spends time with Christ, they are all they do is they take the Old Testament and preach it to these New Testament Gentiles and say, and that was Jesus. And that, that was Jesus. Oh, and that one? Yeah. That, remember that prophecy? That was Jesus too. But see, what we do with so many of the, of the Old Testament-minded followers of, of Yahweh, of God, would do is, is they read the Bible with themselves at the center. Like, what do I have to do? What's required of me? And when, when we read the Bible with ourselves at the center, we, we dismiss what's irrelevant. We dismiss what doesn't matter. And when we do that, we miss Jesus. Why can we wear clothes with two, two types of material now? Ha! Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we're all priests. That's good stuff, man. We don't have to be afraid of pigs because we have power because of what Jesus has done for us. You've heard me say this before. When you read your kids, David and Goliath, when you get done, don't say to your children, no, nah, you be like David and you face your giants and you stand strong 
And I don't care what anybody else does. If anybody else turns away, you say, is there not a cause? You stick your chest out and you say, I'll stand for God. You see, when we do that, we miss Jesus. Because, see, David, well, he was a shepherd who loved his father, who was sent on a mission by his father to his brothers who rejected him. But he was sent as a all of his people to fight an enemy that had never been defeated before and he only went in the name and power of the lord and when david won that victory he provided victory for all of israel what that's not us oh no jesus is the shepherd the great shepherd who loves his father, who was sent with a message from his father to his brothers, who was rejected, and not just rejected, he was crucified. But because he stood for the name of his father, he, as a representative of not just his people, but as a representative of the whole world, went out and fought an enemy that had never been defeated before. And when Jesus hung on cross he hung on the cross for the sins of the world and he was buried but after three days he rose to defeat an enemy of death no one had ever defeated before and in his victory over sin over hell and over satan he provides victory for all of his people isn't that so much better to know we have a savior warrior shepherd who has fought the battle who has defeated the enemy and all we do is have to follow him isn't that better than saying you go out and do your best how oh, it's all about jesus yeah. that's why paul says in second corinthians 3 you're reading the bible as though as though there's a veil over your heart and that veil says, I can't see the truth. I can't see Jesus. Because everything in your scripture is meant to point you to the creation and God's work. To our poor part of the fall. But then to God's love and his redemption. And God's purpose and his plan for a new creation that is one day coming. Listen, Rusty, I love you to death. You're a missionary to the jews my salvation is not in jerusalem israel my salvation is in the new jerusalem that he is preparing that he is going to come and set up his kingdom on this world this it's him i look to him do i want the jews to be saved of course like don't get me wrong don't get me wrong right but man i don't i don't look to the middle east and say what's happening over there what's what's next on the, no what's happening there and what's happening here in this kingdom right here the kingdom that god has given you to live out right now right now and so ah say that i'm so sorry i get excited sometimes you noticed so next week we're going to start a journey as a church through the book of exodus the Lord placed that on my heart last year, and I have worked on, and not, not prepared, but I've worked on praying through that. The Exodus is very interesting. It talks about God's call of Moses, the ten plagues, the Passover meal. 
the deliverance of Israel, the presence of God in the pillar of cloud, the journey through the Red Sea, the provision of man of the Ten Commandments, and the instructions about priests and sacrifices in the tabernacle. And Exodus becomes so central to what the rest of the scriptures say. But here's what we're going to do. What we go through Exodus, we're going to say, how is this all about Jesus? Because there are echoes of Exodus all throughout Jesus' life. You just take the final hours of Jesus' life, and here's where we find Jesus in Exodus. The last supper he was sitting at, they were actually observing the Passover. When Jesus says he's the bread of life, he is referring to the manna that came from heaven. At his crucifixion, he is fulfilling the sacrifice that was talked about in Exodus. The darkness that covers the land at his crucifixion points us to the darkness that covered the land of Egypt and the beauty of the brightness that to God's people that was being offered. When Jesus is laying in the grave, we see the Sabbath of Exodus. When Jesus is questioned by the chief priests, we see how the chief priests examine the lambs in Exodus. When we talk about the veil that was ripped, we're going to be thinking of the tabernacle talked about in Exodus. When we see salvation that Jesus offers from the cross that is deliverance to God's people. And when Jesus says to a man next to him, today you'll go with me to paradise where well, points us to the purpose of deliverance was always the promise. That's what we're going to do as we walk through the book of Exodus. And so this week, can I encourage you, start reading Exodus. I know probably many of you have your own Bible reading plans. That's totally fine. If you could slip in a chapter or two of Exodus occasionally, that would be wonderful. So this week, read, read your Bible with a desire to understand what you're reading, but read it with the greater storyline of redemption in view and read it with eyes searching for Jesus. And can I encourage you, when you find and discover the beauty of God's word, however it works in your life, share it with someone. Just rejoice. And let me tell you, I did in my heart as I was reading his word today. Rejoice. Read, read rejoice. Because it's not about information. It should lead us to worship. If you don't know the greater storyline of scripture and what Jesus did for you, oh, as Aaron said earlier today, it's a good day. Because here's the thing. The goodness of God, he's running after you right now. He wants you to know the good news. And the good news is God loved us so much that he sent a deliverer, a Messiah, whose name was Jesus, who came and he lived a perfect life, who went to this cross and he died for the sins of the world. But he was buried and he rose again. Today he sits... He sits at the right hand of the Father on his throne, ruling his kingdom right now. And he invites anybody that wants to put their faith in him to join the kingdom. Man, and that's good news. All it takes for you to say, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, and I believe what Jesus has done. And if you want to know more, I'll be standing at that back door. I'd love to talk with you after church and just share with you the good news Jesus. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to close by celebrating the goodness of God in song. We thank you for your word. Man, what a, 40 authors, 1,500 years, one storyline. You are absolutely amazing. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts today. 
to awaken us to the truths of, of your word. Now, not the truths that I, I spoke about today because, Lord, you know my, my understanding is faulty. And, and God, I, I have a desire to learn, but I'm just a student. I'm not the professor. I'm not the teacher. Your Holy Spirit is teaching us. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would take this and not walk away saying, well, this is what pastor said, but, but rather let's explore. Let's explore the word in a greater way. Let's see Jesus in ways we've never seen him before because it will lead our hearts to rejoice in him as we have never rejoiced before. Lord, if, if we were to write out our stories and then, and then sing this song that we're about to close with the goodness of God, like, like the, the crazy ways that you have chased us down when we were running our own race. I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want to come to Virginia. I didn't want to do this. But you have been so, so good and so, so faithful that today there is nowhere else I'd rather be and nothing else I'd rather do and no one else I would rather do it with than the people who are gathered in this room opening up your word talking about who you are. You're so, so good. And every one of us, if we were to trace our story that led us to this room today to hear the good news of Jesus is chasing us down. It's not letting us go. He's coming after us. Woo! We wouldn't leave without hands raised, without hearts pouring out expressions of thanksgiving and praise. And we would be shouting and celebrating the name of Jesus. Don't let us go home unchanged. Awaken our hearts. Awaken our minds. Use your spirit and the word to do it. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way you work. Keep, keep it coming, Lord. Keep it coming. Keep pouring out your spirit moment by moment. We want it. We desire it. We crave it. Would you take just a few moments at your chair and would you quietly ask the Lord to keep working in your heart, to keep pursuing you? Would you thank him for the ways that he has drawn you closer to him? Just think right now, think of something where you were going another way and Jesus intervened and brought you back. Thank him for that. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I'll be standing down front here. If you'd like to pray with someone, be here. Pastor Mike, if you would mind joining me up front here, and Pastor Mike and I will be up here, and we'll just stand, and we'll, we'll be happy to pray with anybody that wants to. But if you just want to stay at your seat and just rejoice and sing, you do that. If you'd like for someone to pray with you, we'd love to do that. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Keep working on us. In your name we pray.